You're listening to Fly By Night, a podcast by FedEx Pilots for FedEx Pilots, brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chairman, Captain Chris Lee. You essentially negotiate with the company in one way or another all the time. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's an interesting piece, you know, because oftentimes pilots think of negotiations like the formal Section 6 negotiations that go on, and those obviously are the focus, right, of the pilots and of the negotiating committee. But really, once once the implementation process of your previous contract is is complete, and that, that's significant work as well uh, to make sure that the company's in compliance with all those sections that are implemented over a period of time, really between that point in the time that you begin to prepare for your next Section 6 negotiations, you're really pretty busy working on other things. And those other things in our contract are quite helpful and beneficial and have proven to be beneficial for the pilots. And what we term it as OIM, Ongoing Implementation Measures. And there's specific sections within our CBA that allow us to get into these OIM discussions with the company. For example, Section 24 in the 2015 CBA was an entire rewrite of that section. And because of that, both parties agree, and they put language at the end of Section 24 that says, look, if there's some unforeseen things that pop up as a result of this new agreement, that you have the ability to come in and renegotiate new language or amended language or additional language that helps support the underlying main section of that contract. We have it in Section 8. We have it in the FDA. And FDA has probably been the one area that we've exercised that OIM option pretty significantly, really from the time that I was the clone block rep in 2011 forward, that previous negotiating committee with now our new negotiating committee. Under my leadership, we've been able to take on other issues that are significant with regard to the FDAs and and put in place some new language that addresses things that just happened to pop up that were unforeseen. Are there any current OIMs that you'd like to discuss and share with the pilots? Yeah, Chris, there's uh, two in particular. One is a training activity display, or the TAD is what we call it. And the second one is the training support or TSUP type trip. April 1st, 2019, the MEC approved and we signed this OIM that deals with these two issues. The first one being the TAD, and they're two separate and distinct. They're not interrelated at all, but because they're in one document, you know, we often speak about them, but but the pilot should be aware that they're not interrelated. The first one, the training activity display, is something that if you've ever gone to training off-site, so you're not training at your home base, you're going somewhere. So typically it hits like the LA-based pilots or Indy and all the outer domiciles essentially that have to travel to Memphis or some other place like the Cologne pilots go to Reykjavik. They get on their calendar when they have a training event, their CQ event, they get the TAD. It's a training activity display. And the company actually put this in place on their own as a policy, as a way to help basically account for and automate the per diem that underlines the, the footprint of a training activity. But again, with the off-site training, pilots have deviation travel that goes into that and dates that go into that that extend that footprint of the normal CQ cycle. So the company had that in place, again, as a result of more of an administrative move, and then pilots didn't have to file paperwork any longer. The per diem was automatically. So it was generally a good move on behalf of the company for the pilots, but it left some unanswered questions there about what it was that they were trying to show and also what the pilots could view and what the expectation was on what those footprints looked like. So part of this OIM was to 
get in and, and really put some language that backed up the TAD so there was some expectation of what the pilot would see. I think the biggest thing is probably for the pilots, the baseline and established fare paradigm that all the line pilots are used to if they deadhead, right? So they know how that works. And essentially, the TAD puts that same process in place for the pilots. Only now, with this agreement, pilots would be able to go in and look at, just like they do under the CQ, they'll be able to log it into VIPs, and they'll be able to see their CQ cycle. But for the pilots that have a TAD, they'll also be able to see and view the exact dates, So it's, which is more important, obviously, for the Hong Kong and and Cologne pilots because they have much longer training dates and training footprints. So they want to kind of know what that conflict is going to look like or the footprint looks like for their schedule. So they'll be able to see that total footprint. And they may even see an actual fare that's on there if the company already has it. And if there isn't an established fare at that point, then the company now has a requirement to get a, an established fare not later than 14 days prior to the event. So that's one of the biggest things, I think, for the pilots is that now they have the ability to not only see the fare and use the fare for deviation, they know where to find the information, then there's an expectation of being able to use the deviation bank. But specifically for the clone pilots and the Hong Kong pilots, they have under the FDA language, the FDA LOA, they have the ability to expand the normal three-day travel window that most pilots have under deviation. And really they can use whatever open footprint is on their schedule to deviate. So now this gets away from, say, the normal baseline established fare time frame. So the foreign-based pilots, the FDA pilots that are using the FDA paragraph T gives them an expanded window to travel. So they don't have that limitation of three days of deviation. So say a pilot has a one-month break in their schedule before they have to be in Memphis to train, they can call the flight training travel desk and request a fare for their travel date, which may be a month and a half, two months down the road. And within three business days, the travel desk has to be able to provide them with an established fare. So that's a process in place specifically for the the foreign-based pilots. So moving over to the uh, training support trip. In the 2015 contract, the previous negotiating committee negotiated a base simulator support event, a BSSE event is what it's called, and essentially, that's if you're in base, um, you're a reserve pilot, and they need to fill seat support. So you may get a call from schedulers saying, hey, we've got a BSSE event for you. You have to show up at the airport in three hours and go fly seat support. Well, in the 2015 agreement, it allows for pass down, things like that. Um, and the reason the pass down was in there was because some pilots may not really want to go do the sim support. They might not feel comfortable, they might not feel ready for the sim, or it just doesn't work out for them at that moment. So they have this ability to pass down, and they can pass it all the way down, and then ultimately the training schedules will have to deal with trying to fill that seat some other way. With the training support trip, though, it's a little different in that, first of all, these things have been around since Subic Bay time. The pilots actually enjoy these training support trips. It is a trip in all regards. In other words, it pays like a trip. It doesn't pay like training, but it's off-site. So it's not a local simulated support. So what it means is maybe um, I'm a Cologne-based pilot and um, I go to fly a sim over in Reykjavik, but I end up calling in sick the day before. And now it's just the first officer that's showing up for the sim. Well, the company doesn't want to cancel that sim. They want to fill that sim and still be productive. So they're going to 
probably put out in open time a training support trip or draft a pilot for that training support, a new captain, to go fly seat support so the training can be accomplished. So they're easily identifiable if they do pop up in open time. They may say up on the trip, but it looks in all regards like a trip. It pays like a trip. It has a front end and a back end deadhead. And the idea here is you can't pass this one down. You do have to go take it and fill it because, again, the company, they don't want to cancel the simulator that they've already bought and paid for. And because you have a deadhead on the front end, you also have the required rest requirement. So you have ability to prepare yourself to get in, maybe, you know, knock some rust off and look at the books, freshen up on some of those things. But with that in mind was, look, there's no requirement for the instructor pilot to grade out the TSUP pilot pilot that was assigned it and there's no cgs form that gets completed it's not a pass fail for that pilot now if the pilot shows up and they're completely unprepared and they have a real horrible time flying seat support well clearly we don't want that pilot to go back into a airplane until whatever issues have been resolved but it's not a pass fail there is another process that that was agreed to through the contract negotiations in 2015 and that's to recommend the trb review of the pilot And more than likely, TRB would take that case and say, you know, what happened? What was the events that the pilot had a hard time with? And they'd get them the training they would need to get them back up to speed so that they felt comfortable when they went out to fly. But it's not what would be considered a Jeopardy event. So there's not a failure in your grade anywhere with a FedEx record. So the last couple things on the uh, TSUP trip, Chris, is now with a pilot, when a pilot puts in for first fly under reserve status, you know, there's an idea that, hey, look, I want to put first fly because I want to go fly an airplane. You know, you don't want to be called up for a simulator event. Uh, so we did exclude uh, the sub trip as a reserve first fly. So the pilot will know if they're going in and checking off the block first fly that they're not going to be called as the first guy or gal out for this sub trip, that if there's a flying trip, that's what they're going to get on a first fly status. The other thing, too, is that they would be available just as any other open time trip that they when they pop up or are created because normally it's a last minute type thing and that's why ultimately the company needs to or may need to put a reserve pilot but if it comes up early enough in the normal makeup window then the pilot has ability just as any other makeup or conflict input time frame where they can go in and and grab a trip via makeup so they can do it as vacation makeup or sick makeup or, you know, uh, general makeup. Any of these codes work on these T-sub trips just as a regular trip. And then lastly, unless you specify in a, if you're in the secondary world and you're trying to, you know, build your schedule out in the secondary line, these trips aren't available through the secondary process unless you specifically ask for it by, designated by code. So a pilot can't inadvertently ask for this by saying, hey, I want commuter line and they end up with a TSUP. That, that wouldn't happen either. So those are just two, two recent OIMs that we have completed. And uh, we've got two more, actually three more in the works right now. We're working on Section 24 OIM. We're working on the 7-6 split bid pack OIM. And finally, the FDA, uh, what's called an alternative standard, but another standard uh, to look at or to potentially use for our pilots with the housing allowance. Uh, but those are the three most recent ones that we have in the hopper now, Chris. Thanks, Pat. 